It is good to be with y'all. It's good to be at Rogers Park. Um, I feel like I'm here like half the time. It's good to be here today. I've uh, been thankful to be in this sermon series with you guys, preaching throughout different park churches. In fact, the last time they had me, I think, preaching at Rogers Park, they gave me a, a really difficult passage, 1 Corinthians 7 on sex. And so um, they decided to give me another hard one. Somebody said it's like an initiation thing. I don't know. But um, <laughs> I am always honored and always, it's always a privilege to open God's Word. Um, to, to build up the body of Christ. I'm so thankful to be with you guys today. Again, my name's Sam Smith, uh, and we are here as a pastoral, um, on, on the pastoral team as a planting pastor, church planting pastor, which means uh, we are planting, Lord willing, a new park slash mission all. Mission all is, by the way, which is our church planting arm here at Park Community Church. Um, Mission All plants new churches throughout the Chicago area, in the city of Chicago, in under-resourced, under-churched areas. And so we are looking to plant one in the great neighborhood of Uptown. So if that's intriguing at all to you, I mean, this is a hint. Um, <laughs> um, connect with me after the gathering, pull me aside, ask you some questions, set up a coffee date. I would love to talk more about that. But we want to plant a new gospel flag in Uptown. Yes, there's, the church existed already, but there is a great need for more of the, of the gospel, more churches um, in that neighborhood. So please connect me afterwards. We'd love to talk about that. Now for today, if you've got a Bible, you've got a Bible app, do turn to 1 Corinthians, right? We've been working our way through this series. We're actually coming to the latter part of the book of 1 Corinthians. But we'll be in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, from verses 26 to 40. We're finishing out chapter 14 today. So if you've got a Bible, if you've got a Bible app, 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 40. If you don't have a Bible, if you go behind the doors in the back, there should be a table there with a Bible that you can have as a gift or to simply use today if you need one there as well. Paul, again here, is writing to the Corinthian church. He's planted this church. He's been writing his letter to them to equip them, to encourage them, to correct them in areas. And today he writes this, read with me. He says in verse 26, What then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three in in each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret... Let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to themselves and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another setting there, let the first who is speaking be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And all the churches of the saints... The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let the master husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers and sisters earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we ask you today that you will make sense of this passage, that you would draw out for us what you have for us. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help me to clearly and boldly preach the word as I ought to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today we are going to talk about the idea of order, of order. Now, order is something I think about a lot. Think about this often as our family has eight people living in a one-floor apartment, right? Not a duplex down, but a one-floor apartment, eight of us in there. As you can imagine... It can quickly become chaotic in our apartment at any given moment, right? The more people you have in a space, the higher chance of chaos and therefore the greater need for order. 
And listen, the greater the diversity of people in this space, the chance for disorder and chaos and division and confusion only increases. For example, we have a four and six year old living alongside four teenagers living alongside two adults. Now, for those who are doing the math in that moment, that's three different life stages in one space, right? That's some diversity of life experience and personalities and maturity levels and needs all up on a one-floor apartment, okay? I mean, the diversity of conversations you can hear in our apartment on any given day is wild. You can hear... Like, don't bite your sister in they. <laughs> to, no, you can't just skip school or work because you don't feel like it, teens. To, Sam, can you stop whining about how tired you are all the time? We get it. I get that a lot because I whine a lot about how tired I am. <laughs> it's a wild and sometimes wonderful place. And so as parents, Esther and I, we have to attempt to create spaces and parameters and order so that we can function together in our home. So, so here's where I'm going with that. <laughs> in today's text, the Corinthian church was like a big family that decided to throw out all order and it had become an, an unruly church, an unruly church. People were doing whatever they wished. Roles were confused. False ideologies were rampant. Damaging practices were causing confusion and hurt. The Corinthian church was more like a courtroom that had lost all control. And Paul acts as a judge with a gavel who says, order in the court. Order in the church. Everyone be quiet for a moment, Paul is saying. Have a seat. We need to discuss some things. In our home, this is when I say, everyone in the living room, it's time for a family meeting. <laughs> so let's jump into this Corinthian family meeting. All right, so in today's text, it concludes Paul's three chapters on spiritual gifts. He has walked the Corinthians through several key issues as it relates to spiritual gifts. He has told them that the gifts from, of the Spirit, that they come from the Holy Spirit. That's their origins. And that we have one Spirit who gives a diversity of gifts, different gifts to different people. He spent time drawing out the idea of unity and diversity by using the human body as an analogy. He corrected the idea of the Corinthian church seeing the, the gift of tongues as the primary gift. He communicated that all the gifts matter and are needed in order for the church to be built up to reflect the fullness of Jesus. He labored to remind the Corinthians that if we don't use our gifts in the context of love, then all of our growing and going and highlight reels and metrics simply don't matter. And then he showed us last week that it's the intelligible gifts, that is the gifts that can be understood that we must focus on and desire as we gather to worship together so that the church may be built up and visitors may understand who God is. And now here at the end of chapter 14, Paul gives specific guidelines around some of the speaking gifts in the church. Look at verse 26 of chapter 14. This is how Paul opens the section for today. What then, brothers and sisters... When you come together, when you gather together, when you show up at church, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things, when you come together, let all things be done for building up. What Paul is writing here is the goal of the church gathered, right? This has been a repeated theme the last few chapters. The goal is to bring our diversity of gifts to our gatherings to build up the church. Paul's saying, listen, Corinthian church, when y'all gather, when you come together, bring whatever God has given you to build up the church, whether that's a song or a lesson or an encouragement. Now, we of course recognize here that the Corinthian church's context of house churches looked a bit different than our gatherings today. But the, but the same applies to us here today. When we gather on Sunday or in a small group or over a meal, 
we are encouraged as the church and even expected to bring our gifts and use our words to build up the body of Christ. Amen? So Paul's getting after. On Sundays here at Rogers Park, right, that often looks like someone leading us in songs of worship, which just happened, right? Or someone leading us in a prayer or a sermon from God's Word, or maybe it's a global partner coming up and sharing an update and encouraging us. It's the people leading the kids' ministry right now by encouraging and teaching our children. It's those who welcome us at the door as we walk through the doors. Or it's when we are running into someone in the hallways of the school or in this auditorium, and we give them a word of welcome or encouragement to build them up. This is the why behind Sundays and small groups or any type of church gathering to build up the church by proclaiming the Word of God and the gospel to one another. All right, so allow me just to encourage you to do this today, to get into a small group and show up regularly so that you can build up one another, or to reach out to one another for a meal or a meetup so you can build up one another. Or to show up here on Sundays and, yes, receive from others, but also give to others. Because, listen, in the church, all who are in Christ are ministers of the gospel. All who are in Christ are ministers of the gospel. Yes, some may may play some different roles, but all have gifts from the Spirit and all are equipped and released to do the work in the ministry to build up one another. All right? So, So that's where Paul starts this section of today's passage. Now, unfortunately, there were some glaring issues taking place at the gatherings in Corinth. The church was not being built up. Rather, it had become a place of confusion and discord. This is the issue. The church of Corinth was an unruly church. Chaos and confusion was the culture. The culture is how how it feels when you walk in a room. That's what a culture is. What does it feel like when you walk in a room? You walk into the room in Corinth, and it felt like chaos and confusion rather than peace and edification. This is deeply problematic for Paul, who had planted this church. He's like, y'all, Corinthians, God gave us gifts to build up the church and make his name known, but instead you have made it a circus where confusion and spiritual pride and division reigns. Paul's heart is weighty because rather than using their voices to build up one another and praise God, they were using their voices to speak over one another and spotlight themselves. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation or a meeting where people spoke over one another, right? Or have you ever had an argument with your spouse or your children or a friend where you cut each other off? Let me ask a question. Do you feel built up after those conversations or frustrated? Do you walk away with clarity or confused? When you walk away, are you united with those people or do you feel divided? All right, imagine just for a moment I bring my son Malachi up. Bring Malachi up here and I give Malachi a mic. He would love this. Bring Malachi up here, give him a mic, and I have my mic. And he starts talking while I'm talking. He's practiced this a lot at home. <laughs> right? And now you can't hear me and you can't hear him either, but all you hear from me and Malachi is a bunch of noise. And we just talk over each other with two mics up here right now. And then let's say that like after 10 minutes or so, Malachi sits back down and then I look at you all and I say, can I get an amen, church? <laughs> I hope you were built up today. I hope the Spirit spoke to you. What would your response be to that? Well, if anyone's still here, (laughs) my guess is you'd walk away confused, troubled in spirit, and thinking about why you should maybe consider visiting another church next week, or you begin drafting that email to the elders, rightfully so, right? Listen, this was what was happening in the Corinthian church. They were causing disorder and confusion in at least three different ways via their speech, at least three different ways. So let me walk you briefly through the three ways mentioned, and you'll find these mentioned in verses 27 through 35 in your text. 
The first way that they were causing confusion and disorder was through the, the gift of tongues. Again, kind of recap here, but the word tongues here refers to languages, but not just foreign languages. Tongues also were a prayer and spiritual language. They were mysteries uttered in the Spirit, a, a deep interaction with God Himself. The gift of tongues is a gift from God to the church to communicate with God and, if interpreted, to build up the church. Now, unfortunately, in the Corinthian church, tongues have been promoted to the highest level of gifts, and they were misused. Often it was used, this gift was, in a non-intelligible way, a way that could not be understood by others. It did not build up others, but instead it brought confusion to those listening and a superiority complex to those who used it. What was happening in Corinth was this. Several people would begin to speak in tongues at the same time, and then no one would interpret what was being said. This would be like several people coming up front today and speaking at the same time in different languages, like one in English, one in Hindi, one in Mandarin, and then no one would interpret what was being said, right? Like imagine that for a moment. Like imagine these people sitting down and thinking they had built up the church. Like, man, we really brought a word today. No, you brought utter chaos. Listen, I remember when I was in my early 20s, and God was pursuing me. I had yet to start following Jesus. I was about 23, 24. And so I began, God was pursuing me. I began to read books about different religions, really focus in on the way of Jesus. And so I began to look for a church so I can learn more about Jesus. And I showed up to this one church, and I sat in the very back row, like as far as, like close, as closest to the exit as I can get. And I sat back there, and I'm just waiting for the pastor to give me a sermon. Like, I want to hear about who Jesus is. Like, give me some information. Give me some insights. But the pastor hardly spoke at all. Instead, there was a lot of singing, which is a good thing. I love a lot of singing. And then what happened next was random people in the auditorium began to kind of st stand up and begin speaking in a language that I had never heard before. At the same time, just randomly. <laughs> And I was confused. Man, I'm sitting there, I'm like, what is going on? And listen, at one point, I felt someone's hands on my back, blindsided me, hands on the back. <laughs> and then I heard an older woman speak in tongues over me. And then she just left. <laughs> no, hey, what's your name, son? <laughs> no interpretation. No explanation, just utter confusion. Listen, as a young man who was seeking after God and had yet to surrender my life to Jesus, this caused great confusion. And I remember sliding out the back door as quickly as I could and telling myself, I will never go back there again. Now listen, by God's grace, listen, by God's grace, he still saved me a few months later at a different gathering, different church. But listen, could you, can you see how that could have deterred me from ever following Jesus or ending a church again? That's how serious disorder in the church can be. And the responsibility in part would have been on that disordered church that reflected the church of Corinth. All right? So, so that's the first way, this ordered gift around the, the, the gift of tongues. That's the first way that the church of Corinth was causing disorder and confusion in their gatherings through the gift of tongues. They were using it in a disorderly way. Now, the second was this, through the gift of prophecy. Again, what is prophecy? It includes this idea of foretelling. It can happen, but it's not merely about this or even primarily about this. It's about encouraging others. As Jamie said last week, it's a human report of a divine revelation. It's speaking forth something that God gives a person to encourage another. And prophecy always stands underneath the authority of God's Word. It's underneath it, right? Prophecy is not on the same level of Scripture. Prophecy is about upbuilding and encouragement, all right? So, in Corinth, there were people speaking a word to encourage others to build up the church in an intelligible way, in a way that made sense, which is, which is a good thing. Except that they were also doing this at the same time. 
right, at the same time as someone else. And therefore, they were talking over one another, giving prophecies at the same time. They were not waiting their turn, and they were cutting each other off in the, in the name of getting their prophecy out. All right, so we have tongues and prophecy being used in a disorderly and a confusing way at a gathering in the church of Corinth. And then lastly, there was a group of, of married women in the church of Corinth that were disturbing the gathering by shouting out questions or pushing back on ideas as people were teaching the word or giving prophecies. All right, so, so imagine all of this happening when you show up to church. All of this happened. You walk in, and it was literally a circus. It was full of confusion and disorder, and people were lacking self-control, and their self-importance was on full display. No one could seem to allow another to speak without interrupting and inserting their opinion or voice into the assembly. And so Paul, in response to that, this is his reaction to this, all right? In response to that, he, he's going to bring order to the chaos, all right? Paul's not trying to be controlling here. He's not trying to be misogynistic here. He's trying to bring order to something that's vastly out of order. And he does so by adding specific guidelines in place, specific guidelines to the context, all right, his, his solution to the problem of disorder, his solution is clarity and order. And he will bring order in several ways via correction and clarity here. So I'm going to work through his, his uh, guidelines here, kind of like a list, all right? And you can find these, these things that I'm going to say in verses 27 to 35. They're in there. There are five main ways that Paul calls the Corinthians to order in light of the disorder, five main ways. Number one is this. He's like, hey, listen, church, only so many people are to speak at the gathering, all right? Only so many. Paul's like, we got to cap this, all right? We got to cap how many people are speaking on Sundays. Paul gives room for two to three people to use the gift of tongues and prophecy in a gathering, right? He likely doesn't want too many people weighing in during a gathering as more voices tend to cause more confusion in any given context. Anybody ever been there, all right? Verse 27, he says, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most, got to cap it, three. That's the parameter that he's inserting. And then in verse 29, he says, let two or three prophets speak. All right, some of you are like, hey, can we use this guideline? Can we adopt this at my workplace? You ever been in a meeting at work and it goes on and on and on because everybody got something to say? What if just two or three spoke? Man, Amen. Not bad wisdom, Paul. We'll take that. All right. Only so many people in the gathering, number one. All right. Number two, take turns. It's like he's speaking to children. Like, take turns one at a time. <laughs> right? Each in turn, he says, to, the, to those who are speaking in tongues, he says to the prophets, prophesy one by one. He says to take turns in relation to both the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. He's point blank saying, stop talking at the same time. That's it. Stop talking at the same time. Honor one another by speaking one at a time. And the reason he says this is because it ensures that the church is able to hear and discern what is being said, and therefore it can be built up, right? Clear and logical. Good point, Paul. Number two, take turns. Number three, he says, someone must interpret, right? In relation to the gift of tongues being practiced in a gathering, Paul says that someone must be available to interpret those tongues, this means that someone must be able to translate what is being said through the gift of tongues if the gift of tongues are to be exercised in a gathering, okay? Someone has to interpret. Fourth, he says, weigh what is being said. This is important. Weigh what is being said. This is verse 29. This is in relation to the gift of prophecy. This means that when a person gives a prophecy, that those listening must weigh to see if it is indeed true. Listen, in other words does it reflect what is in Scripture, okay? All right, this is how Paul describes the, the, the Bereans in, in Acts 17. He says, they examine what Paul was teaching them via the Scriptures. Like, is this really true? Let me look at the Scriptures and see if what you're saying is truly accurate. So Paul wants the Corinthians to ask, is there harmony between what is being said and taught to them in the rest of the Scriptures? 
Is there harmony there? The gathered church should always be practicing this. You should be practicing this right now, right? Scripture alone is our final authority for truth in the church. This is the reason why teaching and preaching and prophesying or any other speaking gift is a weighty matter. Like when I preach, when I prepare a text, I take it so seriously because it's God's Word that's primary, not my ideal, my ideas, not my opinions. Like I have to put myself underneath God's Word, and it's weighty. And therefore, we just weigh what is being said anytime somebody is giving a prophecy or teaching God's Word to someone or saying, thus says the Lord. Always weigh it, he says. And then number five, he says, be silent or take it elsewhere. <laughs> Pretty direct. He says this in verse 28, verse 30, and verse 34. All right, Paul will call, listen, Paul will call the Corinthian church to be silent three times as it pertains to all three speaking categories that were causing disorder in the church. Does that make sense? All right, one, he says, Paul says that if there is no one available to interpret for those who speak in tongues, then those people should exhibit self-control and be quiet and not confuse everyone and instead go home and have a private prayer time using the gift of tongues between them and God, right? He says that in verse 28. Be silent in the assembly. You don't have something to interpret for you. You, you want to speak in the gift of tongues. You self-control, be quiet, take that home and be built up between you and God, right? Rather than confusing everyone present, rather than not building up the church, the call is to hold off and instead be built up on one's own if an interpreter is not present. That's the first way he says, be quiet, be silent, take it elsewhere. And then in verse 30, Paul said to those using the gift of prophecy, if someone is bringing a revelation from God to someone sitting in the gathering, the one who was at first prophesying and bringing a word of encouragement to the congregation must hold off and be silent so that the person receiving an individual revelation may hear and be built up. Now, this is a little confusing and interesting um, because we don't practice this at Park, right? But as way of an example, it would look like this, all right? Let's say I'm preaching right now. I'm kind of more teaching today. It's more of a teaching text. Let's say I'm teaching today, which is what I'm doing right now. And then let's say Pastor Jason, Pastor Jason Lalone, <laughs> has a revelation, a word from God for Pastor John McGill over here, right? That the Spirit has placed on Jason's heart and mind. Jason would say, this is what it's saying. Jason would say, like, hey, Sam, like, you'd interrupt me for a second. Hey, Sam, hold off a minute, please. I believe God has something in particular for John. My job to be in that moment, in this context, in the gatherings of Corinth, would be to pause, to be silent, and John then would be encouraged by Jason in that moment. Okay? That's what it's saying. Again, this is strange for us. I get it, but remember that these were house churches, and so this would happen in a different context than ours in a more intimate setting. All right? So that's the, that's the second way he says be silent. And then thirdly, Paul uses the word silent to also address a group of women in the Corinthian church that were causing a disruption. Now, I'm going to be really clear here, guys. I'm going to walk through this part slowly for us. <laughs> All right? So to be clear, hear me. Everybody, don't be going like saying something Sam didn't say. All right? To be clear, <laughs> Paul is not not banning women from speaking in church, all right? All we got to flip back a page, chapter 11, verse 5, to see that Paul assumes that women are both prophesying and praying in the church of Corinth. Exact same church, same author, same congregation, same time, all right? Clear? Like, and he's going to do that all throughout the scriptures. You're going to see women uh, teaching, using gifts, speaking, praying, having a voice in the church. That's not what Paul's saying here. As much as it seems that he is, <laughs> right? Scripture, listen, an exegetical rule, if you're reading the Bible, Bible reading 101, one of the rules is Scripture must always interpret Scripture. Has to. Context matters. Context is king. Scripture must always interpret Scripture. That's how we get ourselves in trouble. When we isolate something, read something out of context or isolated from the rest of Scriptures, and then we say some weird stuff, all right? So Scripture must always interpret Scripture. And in this case, that is very true. So listen, because of this reality that women do speak in church, 
Paul then is likely alluding to the idea that in the Corinthian church, there were wives who were communicating in a disorderly and dishonoring way by calling out their husbands as they prophesied or spoke. Again, this makes sense because it's, it's the theme of the section, right? Hey, people using the, voice, the, the, the gift of tongues to speak out in disorderly fashion, and what are they causing? Confusion. People over here prophesying, using their words in a disorderly fashion, which result in confusion. And then we got a, a, a group of wives or women likely over here who are calling out things and pushing back in a gathering that are causing disorder and confusion. That's the theme of this text. It all stacks together. All right? So this would be like kind of like, imagine if this happened, Dave. I didn't ask this here permission for this. I might get called out afterwards. Um, this would be like a, a stare calling me out right now as I spoke. I'm preaching over here and she's like, no, nah, no, nah, Sam, you're way off. <laughs> Which I might be. But she's like, you're way off. <laughs> right? My hope is that a stare would pull me aside afterwards after I was done preaching and offer a critique or ask a clarifying question, which she might do today, right? And listen, my hope is this, is I would do the same thing for her if she was speaking publicly or praying publicly in the gathering, that I would not just call out to her as she's talking and interrupt her and ask questions and push back, right? Paul is concerned about this. A disruptive group of women who were married were likely interrupting their husband or teacher or the one prophesying, which is why he says, stop doing this. Be silent. Stop. This is unhelpful and this is dishonoring. It is causing chaos. Instead, ask your husbands for clarity at home or have a discussion with your husband on the way home so as not to disrupt and cause confusion in the church. Because when you disrupt and cause confusion in the church, people cannot be built up. Right? And we must remember as well I want to say this, that men, according to the Scriptures, are seen in their homes and in the church as spiritual leaders. And so Paul says to the married women, listen, have that type of discussion at home and give your husband the space to lead you spiritually rather than calling them out and disrupting him in the gathering. Give him space to lead. Husbands, lead. <laughs> Be ready for that. Again, Paul is not saying women can't learn or speak or serve in the church. Rather, this is about a culture that began to permeate the Corinthian church, right? And so Paul, in a string of topics around speech that was causing confusion in the church and disorder in the church, addresses it as he should, as he should. All right, now I need to be doubly clear here. I'll be really clear with you all. Number one. Women are not to be silent in the church as a rule because that contradicts the rest of Scripture, okay? Number two, women should use their mind and their gifts and their voice in the church to build the body of Christ, right? Paul says elsewhere that like wives and husbands are co-heirs in the kingdom of God. Third, there are distinct and equal roles in the church, right? Paul addresses that in 1 Timothy 2. And there are there are diverse, distinct, and equal roles in the family. Paul addresses that in Ephesians 5, that are meant to work together between men and women, and these roles were likely being usurped in this particular case, in this moment in Corinth on that, on that day, or that became a habit that Paul is now writing a letter back to correct. And number four, at bare minimal, we know that there were a group of married women causing disruptions in the gathering, and in the theme of this text, Paul is pointing out that our speech, that our speech can be a key way to cause confusion in the church, whether it's misusing the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy or a particular group of people causing disruptions for a variety of reasons, all right? And to be clear, let me just say this as well. There are times when Paul, the same author, calls out men for their disruptions and division in the church in his letters as well. That's the key issue, all right? So that's five corrections from Paul as it pertains to disorderly speech conduct in the church of Corinth. And now as Paul finishes chapter 14, he repeats the phrase that he's used throughout the last three chapters. Look at verse 39. He says, so my brothers and sisters, let me just pause for a moment there. 
Um, this is implied in the Greek. The ESV, which is the translation we use most often, always says my brothers, and it has a footnote always that says, or brothers and sisters. I've, I said, hey, guys, can we just put it in the main text? I've actually asked them, and they're like, they didn't respond. Um, but it's unhelpful because it says my brothers and sisters here, which implies that what follows is for brothers and sisters to consider men and women. So my brothers and sisters, verse 39, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Okay? Paul's saying, earnestly desire the gifts, right? We're concluding our time speaking about spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire the gifts and do not hinder the gifts. Listen, after all the problems and after all of his correction, he is clear that he wants them to continue to desire, despite all that, to desire the gift of prophecy and despite all the misuse of the gift of tongues, he doesn't want them to forbid the gift. He doesn't want the Corinthians to swing the pendulum. You know how we do that as humans? And hinder the gifts because they've been misused or disorderly or we had a bad experience with them. He's like, that's not the course correction here. It isn't just to swing the pigeon and be like, nope, no one can ever talk. Nobody can ever prophesy. Tongues are absolutely obsolete. That's not its course correction here. And to kind of say that that's a common error in the church, right? We see misuse or abuse around a role or a gift or a theological idea, and we tend to react to the other stream and cancel out the things that were given to the church for its upbuilding. Paul's saying, no, listen. The correct response to what is happening here, the correct response to this order and chaos in this unruly church is to align with the will and way of Jesus and then walk in the gifts. That's his course correction. Paul wants the Corinthians to be a properly ordered church so that they can build up the body of Christ and win people to Jesus. Listen, that's Paul's aim throughout this entire letter. He's, going, he's getting coarse corrections to this unruly church who's a chaotic church. Why? Because he loves them as, his, as a pastor who planted this church. And he wants them to live out their aim, their purpose, to build up the body and win people to Jesus. And all the chaos happening is hindering that. Okay? Again, Paul wants his readers to have clarity here in two ways. One, you should desire spiritual gifts. And two, you should desire them in a decent and orderly way. All right? And that's how he concludes chapter 14. Verse 40, look at it. Paul says, but all things in the church, all things should be done in a decently and in order. Should be done decently and in order. Paul's clear here that a disordered church is not a healthy church. In fact, a disordered church will only do damage to the name of Jesus and the body of Christ and the mission of God in the world. All right, so, so allow me just to spend a few moments answering a question for us. Why is order needed in the church? Why does it matter so much to Paul? Why does order matter so much? That's the question. Two reasons. Number one, because of what our purpose is, church, because of what our purpose is, right? He gets after that in verse 26. We, we can't build up the church without orderly worship. Paul says in verse 26, let all things be done for building up. That's our purpose when we gather together as a church to build one another up, to build up the church. Quite simply, we cannot build up something without structure and order. Like try that with a high rise in downtown. No structure or order, we're just gonna build a high rise, we're gonna build the tallest one yet. <laughs> right? Try that with a sports team or a classroom or an organization. Like, just take structure out and see what happens. Disorder will happen. Chaos will ensue. All right? So, listen, Paul, Paul is all for organic movements. Don't hear me wrong. Paul's all for being led by the Spirit and releasing people on mission. He always, but he always couples it with order and organization, the organic and the organized must play together. And it could be argued that without the organized, there's little place for the organic. In fact, I would say that it is the ordering of things that then gives way to get after the most important things. It's the ordering of things that gives way to get after the most important things. It is the order that allows us to live out the goal and the purpose of the church. And this is why Paul corrects the Corinthians. This order not only brought confusion but it hindered the maturity of the church, 
the mission of the church and the movement of the Corinthian church, which are the greater things. Those are the things we want to get after. Mission, maturity, movement, we must get after those things, but this order hinders them and order helps them. All right? So this was an issue in the Corinthian church that Paul had to write several letters to course correct them about and give them a line so that they could get back to building up the body of Christ and making Jesus known to others. Order then releases us to live out our purpose in the church. All right, now, as I say that, let me just throw out a caution, a word of caution. <laughs> I'm aware that those of us who love order and structure can run with this. Oh, order, all right, we got it. We'll run with this one, right? We're going to structure everything like, to an extreme level. Um, a caution. Historically, the church, in our attempt for order, has opted to silencing the ministry of many by or controlling too much. This has. All right, again, we're pendulum swingers. All right, a reminder here. We are to be about properly building up the body of Christ in order to release people to do the work of the ministry. That's what we're to be about. Parameters matter, absolutely, but so do people. And so we must find a way to create parameters in order that benefit the people. And our playbook is God's Word, meaning if we are disordered, right, if we take a case study or if we look in the mirror, we're like, man, kind of disordered, God's word is our corrective. If we're overordered and we're stifling and stalling, whatever it is, God's word is our corrective. All right, so hear me loud and clear. Proper, God-sanctioned order, God-sanctioned order releases us to live out our purpose of building the church, okay? So that's one reason why order matters so much. The second is this. Why does order matter so much? Because of who God is. Look at verse 33, because of who God is. For God is not, for God is not a God of confusion but peace. Write that verse down or implant it in your heart and mind. For God is not a God of disorder. God is not a God of confusion. God is a God of peace, not confusion. He's a God of order, not disorder, which means, listen, if confusion is part of our DNA, or if confusion is part of the culture that we live in, then it's not of God. It's simply not of God. In the Corinthian context, the surrounding deities, the surrounding temples and idols and false gods were actually characterized by frenzy and disorder. And the Corinthian church is reflecting them a bit. And so the God of the Bible, listen, is unlike the deities of cults who worship disordered gods in Corinth and, yes, right here in America. As Gordon Fee says, this theologian, he says, the character of one's deity is reflected in the character of one's worship. In other words, if confusion is who we are, that means we are worshiping a deity of confusion, which is not the true God. Rather, we are being led by a false God, and we are allowing that false God to be the one that shapes our hearts and our minds. God is not the cause of disorder that is happening in the Corinthian church, and God is not the God who is causing disorder in whatever may be happening in your life right now or in our surrounding culture. In fact, the fruit of order here is none other than peace. Do you see it? It's none other than peace. Peace, right? That sense of harmony. And peace in the Christian assembly is when everyone is truly in the Spirit together, and the aim of everything is the edification of the whole. Quite simply, the Corinthian church is out of step with God, and they are marching to a beat of their own drum, and that beat is not in rhythm with God one bit. So Paul calls them to God's order that leads to peace rather than confusion. All right. Now, another caution with this. Peace and order, just hear me out because I just know how our tendencies as humans are. We're always on one side or the other. Peace and order does not necessarily, necessarily mean somber rituals. Nothing wrong with somber rituals. But when we hear, all right, God's got a peace and order, sometimes we'll swing that pendulum like everything got to be super somber here. <laughs> all right. Order, listen, does not have to equal a lack of passion. Peace does not have to equal a lack of movement and energy. Right? There's so many both ands in the way of Jesus. We can have order 
that frees us to worship with clarity and passion. Amen? We can have order that frees us then to worship God with clarity and passion. That's the aim. Let's go for it. And we can have peace that actually looks like dancing. Right? Peace doesn't have to be quiet and reserved. It can be that. It doesn't have to look like that. Peace and order don't have to look somber and dry. Listen, I assure you that the early church was not dry. <laughs> and yet they were called here by Paul to instill order and seek peace over disorder and confusion because both those things, peace and order, both those things reflect our passionate, life-giving, world-changing, movement-making God. Amen? All right. So that's the why of order. Order matters because of what our purpose is as the church, to build up the church. And order matters because of who our God is, a God of order and peace rather than confusion and disorder. All right, now let me just finish today's sermon with our example of how to live this out. This was a very technical sermon to preach. You got list, order, very technical sermon. And I want to I end with the gospel. I just got to end with the gospel. Listen, each one of us here in this room today, we have and will fail to build each other up at times. It's our purpose, build up one another, that all things be done for building up. But listen, we're going to fail sometimes. Each other, we have and we will continue. And we will fail to order our lives or our churches perfectly. No church is perfectly ordered. We're all work in progress, process, right? We will fail to order our own lives perfectly. So let's like chill to church too. Like let's give grace for all of us in the room and the churches we're part of. We're going to fail sometimes. And we will be confused sometimes and bring confusion to others sometimes. Sometimes we're going to be confused. Maybe you're confused right now. Same you confusing me today. Or maybe you bring confusion to others. We're going to do that sometimes as people, right? We need to give grace to each other. And listen, our disordered desires, our lack of order in our lives, our disordered desires will sometimes lead the way in our lives. Listen, this is all the reason more to look to Jesus as the head of the church. The head of the church. Because listen, where we fail and we do and we will, Jesus never fails. Listen, Jesus came to build us up. It was his purpose, just as he calls it to be our purpose. He came to build up the church, right? The church exists because of the life of Jesus. There is no church without Jesus he uses words, if you read the Gospels and how he spoke, he uses words to bring life to others. He used his actions, his life to bring life to others. Every act, whether in word or action, that Jesus engaged in was to build us up. And as he builds us up, he calls us to go and build others up. And then listen, Jesus came to bring order out of the chaos, amen? <laughs> Think about creation order out of chaos. And now he does this in recreation as he makes us new. He takes on our disordered desires. He takes on our, our sins, our brokenness, our mistakes, our chaotic lives. And he begins the process of reordering us in his image through his life that was perfect, through his death that was for our sakes, and through his resurrection from the dead on our behalf. He brings order. He begins to reorder us into the image of himself. And listen, it's through us, it's through you and me saying, we don't have it all together. Let's be honest, we don't got it all together. We are disordered and we need reordered. We're disordered and we need reordered and it's through Jesus. It's through that posture where Jesus will gladly enter into our mess and begin to make all things new. And then Jesus came to bring us peace. He came to make sense out of the confusion and chaos we live in. Listen, we no longer actually need to live in utter confusion. We don't have to live in that space. For God in the flesh has revealed to us at least parts of his will and his way and revealed to us the person of God in Christ Jesus. We, there have been some things that have been revealed to us through God's word and through the person of Jesus. So we don't have to live in utter confusion. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and He brings peace to all who would receive it. Listen, if you're here today, if you've never followed Jesus, you just stopped in today, or you're intrigued, or you're, you're searching for something. Jesus came to bring you peace and bring order and peace and life to the 
confusion and chaos that your life is surrounded by right now. And for the Christian here, same news. <laughs> Jesus is the eraser of confusion, and He's the author of peace. So we look to Him. All right, so listen, may we receive Jesus today. And as we receive Jesus, and as we receive the Holy Spirit, may we be an alternative culture in the world, spreading peace. Imagine that. Spreading God's good order in a world of confusion. That's beautiful. It's needed. And building up one another in love. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Your written word, thank you for sending the word made flesh. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to come and bring peace and order and truth. Man, we love you and we need you. We cannot do this without you. We admit it. Would you reorder us today into your image, into your will, into your way? May we leave, repent the way we've been going and turn and follow you. May we receive the peace you have for us and the order you have for us. We need you. We love you. Do your work today, Holy Spirit. Make it make sense. In Jesus' name, amen.